a lot of times when I was reading a lot of these books and things about relationships and connecting with folks, I thought the answer was learning how to manage my feelings and things. And now that I've got a lot of these skills, like I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I'm better at this than I was. And the answer is not managing my feelings, which I thought looked like not having them. I wouldn't have said that at the time, but that's what I thought it looked like, at least not externally having them. Now the answer is knowing how to tell my partner what I need when I'm in my feelings. And I have that conversation when I'm not in my feelings so that they have this little toolkit of like, oh, when you are like really overwhelmed and like that looks like you snapping at me and nitpicking and needing everything to be perfect. And what you need is a few minutes alone. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 246. Take three. (laughs) We ran into some technical difficulties. Yeah, you married him. Uh, we're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Bex, who is a kink and sex educator and all-around badass human. Yes, we actually talked to Bex, you probably remember, I'm sure you do. Back in June, Bex came on for our Focus Friday episode all about sexting, and today we've got him back on to talk about his journey in non-monogamy, transitioning, kink, and just about everything you could ever imagine. So this is a fantastic conversation and a huge Huge thank you to Bex for coming on sharing and for all the work that he does. If you want to learn more about his work on the Dildorks and his uh, other educational content that he puts out there on his website, there are links in our show notes, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab and you'll see show notes for every single episode we've ever produced ever. Yeah, that's all there. It's all there. Or just go into the podcast show notes of your podcast player and there'll be a direct link there to the show notes to learn everything you want to know about Bex. Yes. Before we jump into the interview, we do want to do a quick plug for our Ooh, quick, 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 quick. <laughs> a quick plug. I only call you out because when I do that, you make fun of me. <laughs> Never. Never. <laughs> anyway, for our Patreon community, if you're out there looking for like-minded people, we would love to have you come join us. And actually, I'm not even going to talk about it anymore. We have a testimonial Neither am I. <laughs> from a Patreon member that we're going to play here. I love being part of the normalizing non-monogamy community, specifically the MeWe chat groups. Everyone is very supportive and respectful, and it really is a non-judgmental, safe, fun space. It's been helpful for me to hear other people's perspectives on different things that I might be going through to get their support or to just learn how others are doing non-monogamy. I joined a couple years ago looking for community, and I definitely feel like I've gotten it. So thank you, Emma and Finn, for bringing together such a cool, awesome, unique group of people. You're welcome, and thank you for the testimonial and being part of the community. I was going to say, we, we, can't, we can't be a community by ourselves, so thank you for being a part of it and for, for sending in the testimonial so we can get more awesome people like you and the other 200-plus people. So thank you. Uh, if you're out there and want to sign up, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon button. All of the information is listed there. While you're on our website, you can also sign up for our virtual meet and greet. These virtual meet and greets are separate from Patreon. They're open to anyone. You just have to be open-minded and respectful. And our next one's coming up on August 30th. Yeah, I just wanted to add to there uh, really quick. Like Emma said, these are not part of the Patreon community. These are open to anyone. And they're actually a really great way to almost test the Patreon community without committing to it because a lot of the people who are in the Patreon community show up for the meet and greets and they're all awesome. And so the meet and greets are awesome. That's a very, very good point. I try to have good points most of the time. <laughs> a quick reminder, our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, has all the information about Patreon, the meet and greet, podcast show notes, as well as you can reach out to us. Send us a voicemail. Send us an email. If you want to come on the podcast, if you have a comment or question, we would love to hear from you. And I think that's it. 
I believe that's it. Let's go and talk to Bex. I have one more thing. Oh, okay. Thank you to everybody who bought a shirt. Oh, yes. <laughs> we sold almost 150 shirts, and we're super excited about that. If you bought one, you'll be getting it in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're, we're super excited about that. And we'll be doing it again in a couple of months. So keep your eyes peeled and ears peeled for that. Yep. All right. Now let's go talk to Beth. For real this time. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Bex. We're excited that you're here today and to dig into everything about you and your story. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to get to chat with y'all this afternoon. Yeah, for sure. Well, and we've been scouring your website, learning a bit about you, but perhaps nobody else has. So do you mind introducing yourself for, for us and for anybody listening today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, folks, uh, I'm Bex, Bex Caputo. I am a sex and kink educator and podcaster. Uh, I started out way back in the day, let's say seven, eight years ago now at this point, uh, in like sex blogging and sex toy reviewing. And from there, I moved on to teaching in se- teaching like sex and kink education workshops in sex shops and at like kink conferences all along the East Coast. Um, these days, that's less of an option. Um, <laughs> so these days, the majority of my education work is done online through Zoom workshops and um, through my podcast. But the like, one of the fun things about moving online is that I'm able to reach so many more people than I was able to when it was like, hey, anyone in New York City, come to this class, you know? Right, right. Yeah, so yeah. that's we been a lot it. of fun. Yeah, well, and and like we're super grateful for all the work, and we'll circle back around and hear all of the details and all of the work and and how it goes. Yeah, yes. But before we do, I know you said you're a kink and sex educator, and we know that kink and non-monogamy do not have to be linked. Mm-hmm. But I guess maybe do you want to share with us like a high level of what your relationship to relationships looks like these days? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I. Yeah, kink and non-monogamy are not linked, but that is a Venn diagram with a lot of crossover uh, is the thing. Sure. So, exactly, um, yeah. <laughs> I did I I was not like introduced to one through the other like I think many folks I know are. I kind of came to both independently. Um and both of them were things that just kind of felt natural to me. I am also a like in addition to being poly and kinky, I am also queer and trans. So I never felt like the normal script was for me. Um, I was never looking at the white picket fence and being like, oh, that's in my future. So finding kink and poly was more about finding words for things that I had already kind of identified. When I was, I remember like in high school, (laughs) talking to my best friend who was like much more the hopeless romantic. And we would talk about how like they would have like the cute little house with their cute little husband and I would be next door just having a bunch of casual relationships because that seemed like the only way to have the thing that I imagined. And there's some avoidant attachment stuff in there that I've been addressing, but (laughs) you know, that's separate. Um, But because the idea of, like, a single partner just never, it never grokked for me. And uh, by the time I learned, like, the language of non-monogamy, I was in my first, like, serious relationship. And we had a lot of conversations, and he was very monogamous. But when that relationship eventually ended, I was able to kind of start exploring non-monogamy as a single person at that point. Uh, And I have not had a a monogamous relationship since. Often (laughs) when people ask me about like, when you talk about non-monogamy and I get the like, oh, I could never. I'm often like, yeah, I know. I tried monogamy once. It really wasn't for me. But like, it's fine. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I could never with monogamy. Exactly. Like, I'm like, I know. I tried that one once. It was weird. But, you know, whatever works for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. I love that approach. I love that. What, yeah. what, like around what age was it that you got out of that, you, you got mm-hmm. out of that monogamous relationship and, and 
saw the light, let's say. <laughs> not to not to say that we're doing this better, but you... No, no, you, for, for yourself. For yourself, right. <laughs> yeah, no, certainly for myself. That was, oh, I was probably 22, 23. And for context at this point, I'm 30. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so what did those initial days of let's do this non-monogamy thing, like I can't like... So that's seven, eight years ago. We, yeah. we kind of knew we were doing it around that same time. And like the resources back then, like you're like, oh, well, there was some avoided attachment. Like, well, polysecure didn't exist. So like no. you're, you're kind of like wandering around in the dark without a flashlight. Maybe you got a candle. If well, you're lucky. It's so interesting because eight years ago is not that long ago. But in the the way how far we've come in, in I know we have a long way to go, but we've come a long way in the last eight years. Absolutely. In conversations about all of these things, like mm-hmm. I so we jump back eight years. It's kind of hard for me to to divorce this exploration with also exploration of my gender, um, because yeah. at the time I was also starting to learn more about, like, meet more trans folks and explore what that could look like for myself. Uh, well, explore what that could look like and recognize myself in it. Both of those things at that time. I had to define to pretty much everyone I encountered who weren't already doing them. And that is not my experience these days, right? Like at the time I was identifying as non-binary and I still do to some extent, but I'm more on the trans guy side of things. But at the time, like nowadays, both of the talking about like non-binary folks and all of that, as well as talking about polyamory are, even if you're not doing it or exploring it, you're familiar with it, which frankly is a mixed bag these days, but is some kind of growth. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I think I'm glad you brought up how linked those two were. And I like, I guess maybe we'll leave it to you. Like, does it make more sense to sort of talk about how the evolution of non-monogamy developed or like to dive a little bit into like the gender exploration and learning sort of where you saw yourself in that, because I think that's, or both, or both. like and <laughs> maybe they just evolve together and you're like adept at weaving them in. So I guess how, how do you feel is the best way to like approach that knowing how you live? Yeah. yeah I mean, so I'm not going to get too deep into gender stuff because it will derail this conversation conversation entirely. It's a whole right. other one, but I, it was, for me, so at the time, all right, we're going to talk about resources we had eight years ago. I had Ethical Slut and Opening Up. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a little past then, I found, um, oh, what the fuck is uh, Franklin Vo's book? More um, than two. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I found that later on, which was like, at the time, the only resource I found talking about practicing non-monogamy not discovering what it was um and now we have a lot more a lot better resources but yeah so i'm a little scattered give me a second to find the thread uh, and put myself back in telling this in order you're Um, good because now i'm just listing a list of facts about what was happening eight years ago (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's relevant it's relevant yeah (laughs) Yeah, so at the time, I think my process was a lot of just finding people who knew this and who were able to talk to me about it, about their experiences, and who I was able to share experiences with. And it was a struggle to find anything that addressed actually maintaining the relationships and like the struggles that I was having in day-to-day partnerships and like juggling things beyond just jealousy right (laughs) as like because i'm not a person for whom jealousy is a huge struggle i have my moments um but it's not my largest challenge in polyamory um and finding other resources were difficult so at the time my poly looked a lot like casual dating And as I came more into understanding how I related to people and how I could take those skills and use them in a poly context and like kind of, I was kind of fusing or like 
taking the knowledge I had about relationships and applying it to polyamory in the way polysecure does. But I was treading that path for the first time for myself. Um, so yeah, I yeah, spent yeah. a lot of time just figuring out how do I, as a person who doesn't desire the traditional escalator of relationships, still move through them in a conscientious and present way with my avoidant tendencies, but, you know, that's my shit. And it's kind of interesting to feel like I'm at a place now where eight years into doing this and practicing this, I've fucked up enough times that, like, I have some of those answers. I have some of these tools. And I'm watching a lot of folks release books where I'm like... Why you you're just giving this shit away? Shit, man, you just give it all. I worked for that. No, yeah, they should know it. It's useful information. Fine. (laughs) I love it. But I was putting those pieces together eight years ago, and this didn't exist. No, I was putting those pieces together six months ago. I was struggling with those pieces for the past eight years. Right, 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 right. Right. And then I'm I'm seeing people writing it in books, and I'm like, wow, look at that summing up three years of trauma in a sentence fine where were you six years ago (laughs) (laughs) i love it well so you said like jealousy wasn't the biggest struggle for you what like what have been either the biggest or some of the biggest things that you've that you've had to like put together over the last eight years I think for me, so I've mentioned being avoidant several, I guess we're going to get deep with this answer. Here we are. Um, Mentioned being avoidant several times. And I think for me, it is easy. And I've talked about how my poly has looked like casual relationships. And I think it's easy for me to fall into like uh, keeping things more superficial rather than delving deep into the connections that I have um, and, like, navigating the really tricky things that come with deep intimacy, um, which is a thing that I have definitely evolved and gotten better at over the years. But early on, Polly definitely, I mean, it's just as easy to do serial monogamy, right? But it was a context for me that I was able to be like, oh, NRE is fading and things are getting complicated. But what if more NRE over here? <laughs> That'll solve the problem. It won't, though. <laughs> won't. <laughs> well, and then you still have that relationship that you haven't. But if you're not doing the serial monogamy, it's not, I'm going to put this one down and pick that one up. Now you're you're just adding. Right. Oh. Well, because you're you're chasing those feel that NRE that's that those those new relationship energy feelings are so they light you up and right. they're so like addictive in a way that once you get past those it can evolve into you know hopefully a like much deeper relationship. But I can totally see how like you're just you're just chasing those NRE feelings and then but wait now I have I still have these other relationships that didn't go away <laughs> right and endings are hard is the thing and, and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. like transitions are hard change hard conversations are hard right um and gosh when you're it's so easy to be avoidant when you can just bounce around in a circle instead of addressing any of the like serious issues anywhere along the way Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and it sounds like that was sort of the pattern you fell into which is like well that one's getting hard let's just let that one simmer and maybe it goes out but look at this new one we'll just ramp that up and we can we don't have to deal with the hard shit Right, exactly. Or that was at least my impulse. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, the thing that sounded like a good idea and definitely wasn't, but everything in me was like, no, but we'll just hide in this corner and all the problems will definitely forget about us eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. <laughs> no. Nope. No, it does not. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, what is, like, what have you done to combat that? And, like, you said, like, that was the impulse. Like, how. How have you worked through that? And I know now there's books that tell you how to do it in one sentence, but like you, you did it, you did it the real way. So how did you, how did you work through that? Well, and honestly, sometimes the book sure could wrap it up in oh, one sentence, but that you still got to do the work. Well, and that doesn't mean that it just always it doesn't make it may not make sense to everyone too. Yeah, like they may need to true. hear it a different way, or hear, like hear what you went through, or hear what somebody else went through to apply it to their own life. 
And the thing is, I've read, so uh, I'm saying there weren't many of these books for poly folks. There are a great many of these books for relationships. And I've read a great many of them mm-hmm. and been like, wow, that's so wise. I just, I'm so glad I live my life that way. And now like, I'm talking about Darren greatly, but there are a great many other books. But like now I read them yeah. three years, four years later and I'm like, bro, you were not, bro, you were not doing any of this. What are you <laughs> So you can still read it and it still doesn't have to like click for you until you have felt the thing. And for me, the biggest learning thing for me is the moments when I have felt like shit and looked at what got me there and been like, okay, well, they seem like great decisions at the time, but clearly for the long term, this is not great for us like clearly we want you know clearly we want something different right i can look at even like talking about how connection is hard and intimacy is hard yeah loneliness sucks though so Mm -hmm. (laughs) the alternative of that is learning how to connect with folks you know fighting about petty shit sucks so the answer is to talk about the hard shit that's underneath it right i have wound up in too many situations that i'm like i don't like this so what and i keep poking at that i don't like this because there's got to be a better way and generally the answer is some kind of communication under there that helps me grow to be better in relationships with folks Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that. And I think what one thing I, I know I've learned personally over the last year, year and a half is we've sort of transitioned from a ca- more casual, let's call it swingery approach mm-hmm. to a polyamorous approach is you recognize that you're like, oh, I've developed these tools to really like navigate relationships well. And then you go and you take that tool and you try to apply it to a different person and it blows up in your face and you're like, well, what the hell? Why, mm-hmm. why aren't all these people the same? Like I, I should be able to have the same conversation that I just had, but like, it just doesn't work that way. Like everybody is a different person. And, well, and brings their own life experiences yeah. along the way. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You can, you can think you got it all figured out in your monogamous relationship that's been going on for 30 years and you take that same blueprint and you apply it somewhere else and it's, it most likely won't work. Yeah. The tools I have found most valuable, frankly, are the tools I have for me and my own brain. Because like, that is a big thing I have learned in the last couple of years. Um, I mean, I definitely have ADHD and maybe some other flavors of neurodivergent, right? But we all also just have feelings and complicated brains. So, you know, this applies to everyone. Um, There a lot of times when I was reading a lot of these books and things about relationships and connecting with folks, I thought the answer was learning how to manage my feelings and things. And now that I've got a lot of these skills, like I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I'm better at this than I was. And the answer is not managing my feelings, which I thought looked like not having them. I wouldn't have said that at the time, Mm -hmm. but that's what I thought it looked like, at least not externally having them. Now the answer is knowing how to tell my partner what I need when I'm in my feelings. And I have that conversation when I'm not in my feelings so that they have this little toolkit of like, oh, when you are like really overwhelmed and like that looks like you snapping at me and nitpicking and needing everything to be perfect. And what you need is a few minutes alone, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to give my partner those tools have been some of the most helpful things for me because I I am going to have bad days and it's more helpful for my partner to know what to do with them than for me to... Hope I'll get to a point where they go away. Yeah, well, and it happens in reverse too, right? Because if you mm-hmm. can, if you can sort of show this path to a partner, it shows them that they can have that same path with you, and mm-hmm. and then you're both then you're both on this path together of like, mm-hmm. how do we work together in these moments where we're both not our quote unquote not our best selves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's yeah, definitely. 
been a fun thing to learn during the pandemic when I have uh, gone from long distance to living about a mile away from my partner. Yeah. And that was actually brings me to uh, what I was going to ask of what is your current relationship like constellation? Yeah. So um, I have one primary relationship. I um, have several comet like I, I do porn. So I just fuck casually through that um, and have friends that I play with through that. Um, but I have one primary relationship with my partner who also, we do not use hierarchy, but I have a relationship mm-hmm. that from the outside would look we're established we've been together uh two and a half years or so and spend most days together and they have another partner who they are married to and have been with for 10 years um that they live with they live with more or less part-time with each of us up the street so that is our little cluster of a polycule right now they're actually moving into my apartment building soon which is very exciting we're gonna be a stairwell away Mm -hmm. Um, yay and yeah, we don't use hierarchy, um, although obviously we do recognize that like th- our this kind of cluster of a polycule does take practical priority in our lives because we do share yep. a lot of resources. Yep. Otherwise, we more or less practice what we like to call kitchen table poly. I want to at least be able to say hi to someone you're dating at a party. I feel really uncomfortable if that's not on the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally get that. And the 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 inherent hierarchy I think is such a it's such a complicated one to like sort out sometimes cuz people are like I'm I'm not hierarchical, but you're like okay. But there's this piece that like I don't know, for me I was just as you were talking through this like well, I've had this partner for like 2 plus years, right? Let's say you were going to go on a date with somebody new. Chances mm-hmm. are you would tell your partner of two and a half years that, Hey, I'm going to go out on this date. Maybe do you have any feelings about it? Is there any, right? You might talk mm-hmm. about it, but the person that maybe you've now gone on like three dates with, you may not tell them, Oh, I'm going to go on a date with my partner of two and a half years, not because they're less of a person or they're not on the hierarchy with you, but just, there's just some like practical inherent things that happen when you've been in somebody's life for much longer. Like you, you just, things just happen differently and it's not like, well, this person's more important or this person's more of a human than you. There's just practical hierarchies that develop. Right. Like they are, they are a core person in my life. They're going to continue to be that also I recognize puts them in a a bit of a power dynamic over new folks that Mm -hmm. I am dating or like, you know, considering playing with and that sort of thing for us. Like it is important that we're non-hierarchical and for us, that doesn't look like everyone gets equal time and treated exactly the same and that sort of thing, because that's not practical and that's not what every relationship needs. It looks a lot Mm -hmm. more like every relationship has the potential to become whatever it's going to become. Like there isn't the ceiling of another relationship trapping it or boxing it in, in a particular way. If I meet someone and come to my partner and say, hey, I'm feeling X, Y, Z sort of way, the conversation is going to be, okay, how can we accommodate this relationship into our relationship in a way that is respectful of my partner's feelings? It is not going to be, excuse me, partner, what can I do with this new partner? Right? Like we don't have veto um in our relationship or anything like that. It's so we treat each relationship with equal respect and equal opportunity Mm -hmm. to become whatever it is going to become. But that doesn't look like the same cookie cutter relationship across the board. Yeah, totally get it. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And you, you had mentioned a minute ago too, that during COVID I'm assuming it's this partner that was long distance and now is not long distance. Is that correct? Yes. And getting even shorter distance. And now it's an even shorter distance. Yeah. How how was that transition? Yeah. it's So it's been good. We were um, New York to Jersey, so it was not terribly far. I've been in much longer distance relationships. Um, and it was totally fine pre-pandemic. It was a train ride away. But early 2020, like that became a very different story. So by November 2020, they were moving to Philly for stuff with their other partner. Uh, and I came down 
frankly, I saw the rent prices and came down here to meet them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) One bedrooms in New York and one bedrooms in Philly are a very different story. So it was nice. It's been really nice living closer to them. It has been definitely, and like, there has definitely been adjustments around like, even just how much do we want to see each other versus how much time do we have to see each other and what makes sense and whatever with our lives and other relationships and this and everything. But a lot of that is just logistics. It's been surprisingly seamless, which is quite nice. And I'm excited to have them in my building though. I am still very happy to have my own apartment. It is the best thing about moving to Philly. Yeah, your own space. (laughs) It's all mine. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, like, the thought, right, of when you have a long-distance relationship, it's easy to put boundaries in. They're they're sort of created for you in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And now I can see... And here I am, like, introducing problems into your relationship. But, like, (laughs) I can see, like, you live in the building together, and it's so easy to be like, well, why wouldn't we just have breakfast together and dinner together and watch a movie together every night, right? Right. And and then you you can really easily be like, what happened to me? Like, where did I, like, now I am so enmeshed with this person, but whereas the distance, like, it forces you to be like, yeah, I want to see you every day, but, like, well, that's not practical. And, and you don't have to really like face that. Like, what do we do about this? Right. And we both work from home. Like I said, I'm a sex worker. I make my schedule. Right. And they partially work from home and also do, you know, sex work and things. So we have fairly flexible schedules and it's really like, I love seeing you. Of course I want to see you all the time, except I love seeing you more when I'm seeing you in an amount of time that also leaves me time to do the other things that matter to me, right? Whether that is work things that I'm going to get stressed about if aren't done or just the the things that I enjoy in my alone time, right? Which is going into this, obviously, like we said, I'm very aware that I'm very avoidant and also introverted. This is the thing that we said, like, ah, this is the thing we have to watch out for when we're moving. Like, it's, mm -hmm, we're moving closer, this might be a problem. We're clever boys. Um, We're like (laughs) nine, 12 months into living together, and we're like, you know, it happened. Hmm. (laughs) I think, hey, that problem we were talking about, we didn't notice it, but it's been happening for months. We named it. We said we were going to look out for it, but like we still didn't know what it looked like until we were in the middle of living it. And we were like, aha, that's right. Right. And we were able to then course correct. So like, I don't know, again, it was another instance of me being like, I know what I am looking for. I have read the books. I know the things I'm supposed to know. And I still didn't know what it felt like in my body until I was experiencing it. And now I'm like, oh, I get grumpy when I need alone time. I get prickly and mean in ways that I don't like. So it was a process of learning what that looked like and learning what the right amount of alone time to avoid that is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I appreciate you going in there because my question was going to be like, how did it sneak up on you? And like, what did it look like? And it sounds like it looked like exactly like that. But what I'm curious is like, did you and your partner both notice it? Or was it sort of like one of you was on the like, this is amazing. I could do this 10 times, you know, more. And the other one is like, yeah, it's amazing. But also, no, it's not like there's too much here. Like, was were you both sort of in the like agreement that like something needs to change? Or was it this now there's an imbalance there too. It wasn't so much that one of us like noticed and the other didn't. I think we both noticed that like something keeps happening here and I don't know what it is, right? Um, like I was talking earlier about like fights about little stupid things, right? Little nitpicky things or whatever, right? Um, because it's not like 
an alarm goes off in my head that is like, aha, we have reached, like, I'm not a sim with a little bar that is like, ding, my social interaction is done. Now we move yep. on to other things, right? Um, <laughs> I just notice the ways my mood shifts, the way, like, um, energy in my shoulders, the way I'm not feeling excited about things, right? I can look at the, it, it's just, it's very physical. It's the ways that I respond to things. And like, they'll say something. I'm like, and I'll like snap back. And in my head, I'm like, dude, why you gotta be a dick about it? Like, what? why, why are you talking to them? Like you love them. Why are you talking to them like that? Right. And in noticing those things, I was able to label them. And that's how it kind of approach so like yeah they had noticed sometimes i get prickly but it was a process of finding the pattern of when that happens you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah well thank you for going into that and especially for somebody who's never experienced that you know i don't <laughs> <laughs> never snapped at emma never been a dick so i it's really good to hear about it from somebody mm-hmm. else's friends <laughs> no comment no comment exactly <laughs> She can verify. <laughs> uh, along this journey, how uh, how has it gone being open with other people in your life about, uh, well, I guess gender is a whole other topic. <laughs> I'm going to focus on the relationships right mm-hmm. now, but feel free to weave them in how, however you want. Um, fairly well, to be honest. Um, but frankly, that speaks to the fact that like, the majority of the people in my life at this point are non-monogamous. Um, mm-hmm. I, I make a living doing sex work and sex education. So, and like in my free time, I do a lot of like kink volunteer work and stuff. I don't meet many monogamous people that are weird around poly folks. And for the most part, uh, it's actually the only except thing. For the other, except for the other poly folks. We're all yes. a little bit weird around each other. <laughs> Just an important thing to clarify. I was like, wait a minute, I'm one of those people who's weird around poly folks. But. Yeah. Yeah, well, certainly. Um, but um, for the most part, it has been pretty okay. I get, like, at worst, I get the very curious people. And polyamory is low on my list that I, I like, I am very comfy if you're curious about my polyamory. There are much weirder things that people get very curious about. I Don't you get jealous? Well, gosh, no, I don't. That, that conversation <laughs> I'll have all day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, especially as you know, a sex worker and as a like sex educator, like I'm yeah. sure the the curiosities you get there too is just not even probably in comparison. Exactly, and even all of that is better than the like. So, what's in your pants that you get just existing as a trans person? So, yeah. you know, again, poly conversations. That one's fun, especially because, right. like I said, at this point, I'm so enmeshed that like the questions I get from monogamous folks are sometimes interesting to me in that way of like, wow, I've never even considered that one. Like, huh, that, I guess that would be an impression you'd have. No, we're going to impact that several many times, but okay. Interesting. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's wild. The stuff that like after years of being in this space that is so second nature to you or to Mm -hmm. us, and then you like you're talking to somebody and they ask a question and you're like, well, I don't know how to answer that. Like, it's almost sometimes it's like, well, why is the sky blue? And you're like, I don't know because <laughs> right. it is like it just that's the way it is. And I just yeah, but like, how do you explain something like that? And I I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, it is always a little interesting though to like suddenly think about my relationships in that way sometimes because sometimes the answer yeah. is interesting. It's like, wow, I haven't considered that no it that's not a problem for me for these reasons or whatever yeah yeah Yeah, i love it well you've you've touched on kink a few times and Mm -hmm. in reading your bio online uh i came across one of the favorite things which was that you you insisted on eating your food out of the dog bowl from from age eight (laughs) and so i would love to hear how kink like 
uh, has evolved, w- evolved and been weaved, woven into this whole journey for you over, you know, your entire 30 years. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite, like, little anecdotes. Um, cause for me, I just, I found great joy in pretending to be a cat for a good long time as a child. <laughs> and then when I was older, I looked back and went, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> um, but, uh, for me, kink, again, much like a lot of this, um, came fairly naturally to me. I like, as a teenager started getting curious about sex and exploring it and kind of my natural instinct was like, this seems neat, but how do we make this weird? Um, and (laughs) it's where I wound up where I am now. Um, and it is, uh, for me, it is core to the way I have relationships. Um, Not everyone looks at kink as an orientation, like a sexuality. Some folks come to it as like a way to have fun or whatever. For me, it it feels very core to the way I relate to people, the way my queerness does. For me to have like really intimate, connective relationships, there usually does have to be some sort of kink dynamic involved, right? Some sort of kink connection or mutual play there. And for me, it... (laughs) It serves kind of two functions in my life. I look at it both as um, almost a spiritual practice is a way of connecting with myself and my body and the vast ways that I can experience this like meat suit that I inhabit and the worlds that I live in and ways that I can connect with people, right? And ways of, I don't know, connecting with whatever my deeper self is, whatever that big, you know, question. And at the same time, it's grown-up playtime. It's make-believe. It's fun and games with other adults. It's, again, a way to connect, a way to experience feelings and care deeply about things that ultimately don't matter. That, like, I don't know, when I'm in service to someone and working on a task for someone, it is the most important thing I have ever done. And if I fail at it, I'm still going to eat that week. I'm still going to pay my rent. I'm not, no one's going to, my boss isn't going to be mad at me. Like we don't have opportunities to do that as an adult. Right. And it feels really fulfilling to play that out with my partners in, uh, whatever kind of structure or box we decide to put it in that day. I love that. And it's like kind of the choose your own adventure, right? Like today it might look like this tomorrow. It might be totally different. And you may never revisit the thing from the day before. It's just an opportunity to try on, like you said, try on a whole bunch of different things and see what see what sticks and see what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we're like feelings are one of the many things our bodies are made to experience, right? And kink gives me a way to access those in less high into high intensity situations, right? I can play with fear. I can be scared for, you know, a half hour with someone I deeply trust, right? In the same way I can go to a haunted house or watch a horror movie, right? To just try on that adrenaline and, and feel the conclusion of that feeling. And I don't know, for someone with anxiety, getting through the scary feeling and surviving it is a thing that makes me feel powerful and helps that scary feeling feel a little more conquerable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess we're weaving back around to the spirituality thing, and I don't know that play mm-hmm. that there is a hard line between the two, right? But yeah, it is very, very core to the way I relate to people, and it is actually the only place where I do experience quite a bit of jealousy when it does flare up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Do, do you mind expanding on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, it, I don't, like... I will rarely have jealousy around my partner, like dating other folks or other things. Honestly, the most jealousy I tend to experience when my partner has a date is if I haven't had a date recently and I'm like, but I want someone to tell me I'm cute. Not even that person. And I don't know. You tell me I'm cute all the time. You'll do that when you get home. It's great. I want a cute new NRE date. No fair. Right. Um, But I don't like, I know my partner adores me and will continue to adore adore me when they get home. But kink things is very core to our connection and very much a part of what feels like it makes our relationship special. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't, 
have a problem with them doing kink things with other people. I enjoy it and I like poking the bruises they get and other things. But in times when there are issues in our dynamic, that is where that jealousy will flare up. If I'm feeling like our dynamic is not necessarily playing out the way I want to, or I'm not getting enough of a certain thing that we want, it's very easy for me to feel threatened by other relationships because that is such an important part of my relationship to them. And when I see them getting that other places and I feel like I'm not providing it as well as I could or getting it in the way that I want or whatever is happening, um, that, that pushes the button. That's the little fragile bit. That's a problem. Yeah. And it's, it's insecurities there. Yeah. It's like in the, the deep insecurity in a relationship is around, sounds like around this one thing and it links, it links. It, it's especially because just a minute ago, you were talking about how, how intense the kink, intensely the kink dynamic will relate to just your overall feelings and emotions and, mm-hmm. and, you know, eliciting fear and working through anxiety. And like, so it, it impacts your, obviously your whole person. And mm-hmm. that's some, if that's something that's really core that you feel is really core to that relationship, it makes complete sense that you'll have more insecurities and jealousy around that specific thing than other, other things in your relationship. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the thing that feels like it defines the way I connect to them, right? And I, you know, I connect mm-hmm. to them in a great many ways, but it is a very core piece. Similar, like one of the other things we often joke about that is a big jealousy trigger is the first time I'm going to show Battlestar Galactica to someone else because I showed <laughs> Battlestar Galactica to my partner for the first time. I've seen it a great many times, um, but they hadn't seen it. And we watched it together early in our relationship and like bonded over to, over it because it's a phenomenal show and I have a lot of feelings. Um, but the first time I'm like hanging out with someone and I'm like, oh my God, you've never seen it. You need to watch it because I'm going to do that. That's also going to be just because it, it feels so core to who what our relationship was and, and the forming yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, I guess the point too, that's something I've thought a lot about of like when I feel jealous or insecure, what are, you know, I don't want to control or add or add something that limits the other person, but what are things I can ask for in that relationship that, you know, are that think are things that could be between us. So a term of endearment that only we use with each other. And it's not that, that that goes like, that's just banned from ever being used, but you know, it's special between you two. And it's almost like you can, to me, those, if they can find little things like that to, mm-hmm. to, to kind of, I don't know, help def, uh, find some uh, connection that's just between the two of you and can help some of those other uh, other things be easier. Yeah, absolutely. And just like I have found like even just talking through what it is that like I frankly I often find learning more about the their other relationships and the ways that they're engaging in kink with them um, and what they're going to that for to be helpful even if on the onset it seems like a terrifying thing to ask about um, because it helps me understand the nuances and the differences in the things that they are doing with other people versus with me um, and helps me still see because like kink is a huge umbrella right so like them doing kink with another person does not mean they are doing the things that we do together in the ways that we do them, right? So having conversations and getting a fuller picture of what their experiences with other folks can look like um, helps me recognize the differences between that and what we do, which I find generally particularly helpful. And also just knowing the context in which it is helpful for them to do kink with other folks. Like I like a heads up. I don't tend to like to be surprised by finding out they did a scene later. I'm never going to say, no, you can't play with someone else, but I like to know it's happening rather than finding out it happened, which is an accommodation. My partner is generally comfy making and it's something I do for them as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think where it can, I know like for me, like putting myself in, and similar like frame of mind is the like it's 
it's almost when you when you maybe you're picking up that your partner is now doing things that you always enjoyed doing with them or were a core tenant of like you two. Mm-hmm. They're now doing them with somebody else and you're seeing them fading out of your connection, right? Mm-hmm. And it and, and then it's really easy to be like, oh, well, we used to I always I don't know why. We used to play tennis together, right? And mm-hmm. now we don't get to play tennis anymore because my partner's always playing tennis with this new person. And then it's really easy to tell yourself stories that like they just don't like playing tennis with me or they'd rather play with this person. They might like it with me, but they love it with them. And and then it's mm-hmm. really easy to let that get away from you. And and then, yeah, then it's like, how do you bring that back around without making them feel bad, but also like getting your needs met? And uh, that can just stir up so many so many things. And I, I don't know, I kind of related that to kind of what you were talking about here, at least for me, that's where it kind of landed. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, what sucks is the answer is to have the conversation because it's hard and difficult, uh, hard and difficult, yeah. hard and complicated to have. But like the number of times I've had the conversation and been like, I, I don't know, I wanted, I wanted to do this thing and you did it with this other person and like, it must mean you don't want to do it with me. And my partner has been like, oh no, you've, you've been stressed. I didn't want to ask to do that. I've, I've, I would have, I would have wanted, I've been wanting to do the thing with you. Do you have a free weekend soon? We can like do like, let's play tennis or whatever, you know, like the number of times that it has just been an ex like a miscommunication of like what we thought the other person wanted or making assumptions about whatever, rather than just saying the thing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So you're saying we should talk about our feelings. I know. I know. It sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> it all comes back to that communication. No, oh, man. Yeah. I was, side note, I was looking at gifts the other day, and one of my favorites to go to is from New Girl, the TV mm-hmm. show New Girl. And there was one It was like, it was from Nick, and he's like, if they wanted us to talk about our feelings, they'd call them talkings. And like, so like, I like that. we're just like supposed that. to feel them, not talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I like that too. I this agree. To we should talk soul. about our feelings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I know you earlier were, were concerned that the conversation maybe about transitioning and gender mm-hmm. would derail our conversation. If you if you're comfortable talking about it, like I'd love to give you the platform to do it here because I think it is, I mean, obviously a core tenant of who you are, but mm-hmm. knowing there's so many people out there listening that are, you know, potentially at the start of that journey or somewhere in that journey, and it's still I can imagine a very lonely one. Like there's mm-hmm. not that many resources, so we're we'd love to give as many resources as we can about that. Yeah. Um, I would say, so if I have one thing that would have been helpful for me to know early on, or that was like the most helpful thing for me to learn early on, I suppose, um, was detaching the idea of, uh, exploring my gender as something I had to be, uh, like, as a process of fixing something broken or wrong, right? Um, we get this idea, this born in the wrong body narrative that um, I am constantly miserable with the body that I have, that it, it is causing me such pain and suffering that I have to go through this very difficult process to become the person I was always meant to be. Uh, that's a narrative that is created by doctors who were studying cis doctors who were studying trans folks um and it is perpetuated because they said this is what a trans person looks like you give these people medical care and the thing is trans people are not idiots so we read the definition of what getting medical what is required to get medical care and went in and went uh-huh yep mm-hmm totally the wrong body uh yes so sad so miserable fix it please and got the medical care that we needed but we wound up with this story of legions of miserable people who are just scraping at anything they can to feel 
a shred of happiness in their body. And that's not what my exploration of my gender looked like. I didn't hate my body. I was mostly indifferent to it. And I was like, I don't know, it seems fine. This is the thing that I wound up with. I've never known how to feel any different about it. It's just kind of here. But I had conversations with non-binary folks and folks outside, you know, you know, folks with more interesting presentations of gender and saw reflections of myself and started exploring and kept exploring. And each time I moved in a more masculine presentation, I felt exponentially more comfortable in my body in ways that I didn't realize were an option. I uh, compare it to like putting on glasses for the first time and being like, holy shit, the world, this is what the world looks like. This is what y'all have been seeing all this time. Right? Um, I, each step I made towards a more masculine presentation, I was like, shit, I could feel like this in my body. I cannot think about my body every day. I cannot wonder about how my gender is affect like how my gender feels in my body. If it's presenting the way I want it to every day, I can just, my body can just be a product of who I am, like a piece of who I am. And that was not something that I had ever really considered. Um, so for me, exploring my gender was a process of chasing joy and chasing what felt at worst neutral and at best fantastic to inhabit in my meat suit. Um, Not a process of running away from deep misery. Like looking back, I'm like, shit, that did not feel anywhere near what this felt like. But in experiencing it, eh, I was like, I I don't know. Um, But I was curious about more. So, uh, and for me, that started when a therapist told me that I didn't have to be miserable about something to want to change it. Which, hey, that is, more people should say that thing is the thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I imagine that gives you the freedom then to say, I'm working on changing this, but while I do, I don't have to hate, I don't have to hate the Mm in-between. Like I can be content and happy and still work towards the change without having to wake up every day and be like, well... I'll actually be happy in six months when when everything is supposed right. to be the way it is because, I mean, like, you know, I have this play out for me, not in gender, but in just mm-hmm. so many different aspects of life. Like, well, if I only suffer now in six months or a year or 10 years, I'll be happy then. And then that time rolls around and you're like, well, son of a bitch, I was supposed to be like a whole lot happier. <laughs> and why am I not? Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, if you can be okay and be happy during the work that really, I think it gives a lot of freedom and it's just easier on yourself, right? Like you don't have to be feeling shitty all day. Yeah. You would think that that was not how I managed to do it, but that would absolutely have been a better way. Um, (laughs) Definitely steps along the process. Like, the thing about medical care in the States is you decide things and then they happen. Um, so there's definitely moments along that process that like, it was harder to feel comfy. And there are also a lot of those moments of like, it, there were moments of fun of exploring the, of like, gleefully living in that moment of exploration and then the other side of that coin is oh god where am i even going am i what you know like (laughs) the other side of exploring is lost and like brains flip back and forth between the two and like so it was a phenomenal process and a difficult process and i i scoff at people who were talk about like, are you transitioning versus have you transitioned as if it's a process that like happened? No, I am just a trans person. Like my gender is, is evolving and is going to continue to evolve. And it is nowhere near as in flux as it was five years ago. And it is, it feels really fantastic to be at a like settled and comfortable place in that. Yeah. yeah, but that doesn't mean you stay. You necessarily have to stay there. Like just with exactly. anybody, like that change can be, uh, like change itself can be on a different spectrum as you go. Like the amount of change that's happening at a certain time. 
Right. I feel like it's the difference between, so in the past when I was exploring my gender, I was kind of forging new ground into a forest I had never been in before. And now I've set up a base camp. And when I want to explore, I can, I can wander out into the woods and go over to Femlandia or, you know, Butchville or whatever and do what I want to do. But I have a home base that I feel cozy in and that like has all the things that make me happy that I can come back and land in. And that is not something I had in my early twenties. And that while not directly related to my relationships and all of those other things, um, is a degree of stability that made all of those other things possible. Like without that, central stability and understanding myself, I was not going to be able to explore the kind of connections and relationships I've been able to in like my late twenties and except and on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I love it. Well, thank you for, for diving into that a bit because yeah. I, I just, it's such an important, I mean, an important part of who you are, but I think it's for, for anybody listening out there to like understand that better. Right. And mm-hmm. I think also like the more people that we can expose to this, the less people are going to come up and go, what's in your pants? Right. Cause they're like, there's so much more, there's so much more to it. Right. Like, yeah. And it's like, I don't know, my wallet, my car keys, yep. my phone, yep. like, that's what's in the pants. Right. So yeah. Change? Does anyone carry change Nobody anymore? carries change. <laughs> Hold on. The only person who carries change is Emma because if she goes by one of those machines that crushes pennies, you gotta, you gotta get you gotta get one wow, of each. Throw me under the bus. I didn't That's throw you under any bus. <laughs> yeah. We, how many? You counted them the other day. You no, had like a hundred. We're not going there. It was like hundred, hundreds of them. So uh, I, no. may, I may have a small collection. A small collection. <laughs> No judgment I here. Well, I then I would have to talk about how many enamel pins I have, and they cost much more than a penny. So we cannot. Right, right. right. <laughs> That's right. That's my thing. We can all have something that we collect. It doesn't matter what it is. Exactly. <laughs> my minor hoarding respects your minor hoarding. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for everything that you shared. And we would love to give you the opportunity to talk more about the work that you do, where people can find you, as well as if there's like anything else that you would want to share uh, and get out there. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Um, where can folks find me? So, uh, Bex Talk Sex on Twitter, Instagram, and BexTalkSex.com has all of the information about my sex and kink education work. I have all of my workshops on there. I teach every uh, Wednesday night at 7.30 Eastern on Zoom, so you can find my class schedule and get tickets there as well. I'm also on Eventbrite if you search Bex Caputo. And if you're curious about the nakeder side of things I do on the internet, go to at Billy Lore on Twitter. Rest of the links exist over there. Don't worry. I'm real good at letting you know how to pay me. <laughs> Love it. People can find you. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. To all of that will be in the show notes. <laughs> and is there anything that we didn't ask about or talk about that you wanted to make sure to, to share out in the world today before we let you get along with your day? Gosh, no, I think... I feel like I feel like we were pretty exhausted. This was a really excellent conversation. I had a lot of fun talking to y'all. Yeah, of course. One thing I do not think you mentioned your mm-hmm. podcast. Oh yes. yes, duh. I'm also I also have a podcast, and this audience of podcast listeners is probably interested in it. Uh, my podcast is <laughs> called. The reason I didn't is because the spiel I just gave you is my end of podcast spiel, which just <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, so you, just, don't, you don't want to. Yeah, you don't need to mention the podcast on the podcast. <laughs> exactly, and those listeners have heard of it. Anyway, it's fine. I'm a professional. <laughs> I also host the Dildorks with my best friend Kate Sloan, who is a sex journalist and sex blogger. We talk about all things sex, dating, and masturbating every Tuesday. We also talk a lot about kink, but we forgot we were perverts when we wrote the slogan. So it's not in there, um, but we would love to have y'all over there. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you, Bex, for coming on, for sharing and for being your awesome self. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. And we're back. A big thank you to Bex for coming on the show, for sharing your story, for all the amazing work that you do and actually for coming on the podcast twice. That's so. right. We really appreciate it. It's an elite group. 
who's been on the the show twice. So thank you, Vix. And actually, in the same day, we recorded both of these back to back. We did. It was a marathon session. It was. Anyway, thank you, Bex, for all your work. Again, links are in the show notes to Bex's website and their podcast, The Dildorks. Check it out. It is awesome. You will love it. Yes. Before we let you go, a quick reminder, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. We say it all the time. But on our website, you can find information and join our Patreon community. If you're out there looking for like-minded people, we would love for you to give it a try. We also have our virtual meet and greet coming up on August 30th. You can sign up for and podcast show notes and you can reach out to us on our website. And one more thing. One more thing. We have a resources page. A lot of the resources that we use on that, that are listed on that page are resources and things that Emma and I use in our lives. Our favorite one is stdcheck.com. Using the links in the show notes helps support the show financially and it saves you $10. So we all win. But a huge thank you to everybody who's ever done that and to you for doing that in the future. What is stdcheck? Dot com. Dot com. Well, <laughs> I was asking you what stdcheck was. It's a... <laughs> You weren't ready. I was sorry. Never ready. And I knew you weren't. And I thought I'd throw you under the bus one more time. Thanks. Thanks for that kind consideration. SDU Check is an amazing, discreet, simple way to get tested for STIs. We've used it many times and we highly encourage you to give it a try. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah. I, I don't need to go into detail. Like, you <laughs> Go know? check it out. There's yeah. links and it's, and it's right there. Right. So again, thank you to everybody who's done that in the past and to everybody who does it in the future for knowing your sexual health status so you can communicate that to all your partners and be a badass like Emma. (laughs) And you. That's true, but I don't like, I'm humble. (laughs) Also, one last thing before we let you go. Last Friday, we had a Focus Friday episode all about community. We forgot to mention that in the intro, but it was a wonderful discussion with We Got a Thing, Mr. and Mrs. Jones of We Got a Thing. And so we just encourage you to go check it out. And I just wanted to throw a reminder here. Yeah, and they didn't know we forgot to put it in the intro. Until I said until that. Until you said that. It was written on the paper, but then we skipped it. Well, it wasn't written on the paper. No, nope, it guess wasn't. That's why it we wasn't. forgot it. <laughs> they didn't know that either until just I know. Now. now you give them all our secrets. <laughs> well, the people who listen. Oh, hey, while we're here uh-huh. at the very end of the show where nobody's listening. Right. No, people listen. Thank you to the, the handful of people who got the joke, that the reference that we made. From last week. We got two emails, actually three emails. Yeah, we did. From people who got the can confirm reference. Right. From, are you going to tell them? Letter Kenny. Letter Kenny. Yeah. Yes. Which, I don't know if I would say it's a good show, <laughs> but it's it a, is It is a show. It's a very creative show. That's a word. Yeah. On it's, Hulu. It's unique. Okay. We've rambled we're not. Enough. We're not promoted or uh, paid in any way by Letter Kenny. Oh, no. <laughs> we just watch it. <laughs> All right, next week. Yes, next week we have an interview with Kristen and Adam. Come back and listen. And until then, have a wonderful week. We'll see everybody in a week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.